With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space. Because what happens is when you're in a narcissistic relationship, you get so pulled away from who you are, you don't really, really get to learn, what are your preferences? You want thin crust or thick crust? You're so used to ordering what the narcissist wants and eating what the narcissist wants and having sex the way the narcissist wants and watching the movies the narcissist wants. You forget that you actually like foreign films, that you actually prefer thin crust pizza, that you actually like hiking and you don't necessarily want to go to the gym. And you then plant your flag and you get to know your preferences. So the next person who meets you, you're like, yeah, that'll be thin crust. And this weekend I'm taking a hike. You want to join me? instead of doing something on someone else's terms. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Do you have a burning question you're dying to get feedback on? Do you want an unbiased perspective on a situation you're facing? If so, visit cultivatingherspace.com and click Ask Dr. Dom under the Start Here option. Every Tuesday, I'll choose a few questions and answer them at random. All right, lady, we are so excited today because in Cultivating Her Space, we have a returning guest it was one of the episodes that you told us that you loved. We had Dr. Romney Gervasla here for season six, episode seven, and we talked about being raised by a narcissist. And you love that episode. So we decided to have Dr. Romney back and she agreed to talk to us about how to finally leave your narcissistic partner. If this is your first time tuning in, let's tell you a little bit about Dr. Romney Gervasla. 
She is a licensed clinical psychologist in Los Angeles, California, and professor of psychology at California State University, Los Angeles, and the founder and CEO of Luna Education Training and Consulting, a company that offers a range of programs focused on educating survivors, clinicians, coaches, and businesses on the impacts of narcissism on health, wellness, and functioning. Her work has been featured at South by Southwex, TEDx, and on a wide range of media platforms, including Red Table Talk, The Today Show, Oxygen, Investigation Discovery, Bravo, the list goes on and on. And she is also a featured expert on the digital media mental health platform, MedCircle. Dr. Romney, welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. We're super excited. Thank you. We can't wait to dive into this conversation. And so our quote of the day, narcissists will destroy your life, erode your self-esteem, and do it with such stealth as to make you feel that you are the one that's letting them down. Uh All right. That quote, to me, I think kind of sets the stage for this conversation today in terms of being able to really understand one kind of how to recognize a narcissistic partner. Because that stealthiness is, I think that's the thing that can get us caught up. And, but then more importantly, how we can navigate out of that relationship when we're ready to. So with regard to the sort of stealthiness, I think that sometimes we actually may be giving narcissistic people more credit than they deserve. We, we sort of view them as these grand chess masters and people who are able to play people so perfectly, when in fact, it's just their raging insecurity and their utter lack of empathy for other people and their entitlement, which means they will do and say things that are so self-serving and so manipulative that it's not a normal part of the wheelhouse for everybody else. So by that, I mean that You know, when we really think about true, cunning, calculated, cold, almost villainous ability to play other people, then we're talking about a psychopath. Narcissus is not nearly as well honed a fighting machine. They just tend to want what they want and need what they need. And because they're insecure, they just, they they can't be without it. So it's almost like they're motivated as much by anxiety and panic as they are by cruelty, and actually probably more the anxiety, insecurity, and panic, more than actually willful cruelty. It feels cruel if you're on the receiving side of it. It really, really does. And it feels stealthy because this person who once drew you in and was so seductive and was so engaging, all of a sudden turns, it feels very calculated. But it's not nearly as calculated as it is that they just got bored with you. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) That is very powerful. That's a stinger. That's a stinger. 
I like that too, because it takes the power away from them and gives us the power. So Dr. Romney, last week, we actually covered some of the questions in your 30 question survey or quiz from should I stay or should I go? And so we wanted to dive into just some of the key characteristics of a narcissist, because I know when we went through some of the characteristics and the questions, we were like, wait, that sounds like me, but I'm empathetic. I don't think I'm a narcissist. So can we just cover the key characteristics of a narcissist before we dive in deeper into the conversation? We're looking at lack of empathy, entitlement, grandiosity. This person is very superficial, who needs a lot of validation and admiration and frequently seeks out validation and admiration. People who have trouble controlling their emotions, particularly their anger, when they're frustrated disappointed or stressed out. These are people who are very controlling, who are very sensitive to any form of criticism, who are very arrogant, and at the core of it, deeply, deeply insecure. And because of that insecurity, they have this really, really sort of grandiose exterior to protect them from the insecurity that's inside. I mean, to protect the insecurity from inside, actually to protect that from the world that they view to be so cruel. Wow. And when you think about, you know, the person listening to this and, you know, they probably tuned in because they're trying to figure out how do I finally leave this narcissistic person? Can we talk about like, how do we end up in these relationships? Like, is this narcissist super charming? Is it something that we are doing that's like attracting them? Can we talk about what you've seen in your experience and research around that? So the narcissistic relationship initially is often characterized by certain dynamics. We, they're often, they all fall in this bucket called love bombing, which is a period of time that's characterized by a lot of idealization and seduction. But it's also characterized by, a, it's not just always like somebody selling, sending you a 10 dozen roses or taking you on a big dinner out or buying you lots of gifts. That's what we traditionally think of as love bombing, the big grand gestures. But at times it's a person who is so all in, who is so all absorbed that they, they want to spend 24 seven. They're sending 50 texts a day. A good morning. Good night. I'm thinking about you. And people are flattered by this. Like, wow, they can't get enough of me and not starting to see that somebody who gets in touch with you that much. That's probably foreshadowing a fair amount of control. These are people who just like, I want to know everything about you. Tell me everything. You know, what are your greatest fears? And you start opening up to them. They'll often tell you their tales of woe and the terrible and sad things that happened to them, often making you want to rescue them. And then there's a lot of push pull. They'll be like, oh, I'm so bummed out. We met at the wrong time. And you're like, no, 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 we didn't meet at the wrong time. And you find yourself drawn into this manipulative game of feeling like you have to fight for them. And by getting them, by the, you fighting for them, now you're even more invested in it. So by them being sort of in, sort of out, maybe this is not the right time. Or they're like, you know, I'm kind of still in something with someone. Everybody wants to be the winner. And so they'll, be like, they'll dangle that like, I don't know, I don't know. Let me think about it. And you're like, I don't want them to be with that other person. I want them to be with me. So people get into this fantasy. I'm going to pull them away from that person that they're sort of half in, half out with. And what happens is that then they get your buy-in. So all of this confusing stuff that happens in this early part of the relationship gets people on the hook. All right, lady, it's about that time. Dom and I want to share a few sponsors with you that we believe you'd enjoy. So stay tuned, get those promo codes, and we'll hop right back into this informative conversation. Lady, as you know, this month is Women's History Month, and it's a great opportunity to highlight the stories of Black women specifically. 
Black representation holds significant importance in conveying possibilities to everyone, not just those of us in the Black community. I can recall growing up watching Oprah Winfrey and the Black newscasters in my hometown of New Orleans, and it showed me the importance of sharing my own stories and using my own voice. Well, the next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's latest collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Tracy Ellis Ross to Beyonce's Renaissance, Michelle Obama to the women behind the Montgomery bus boycott, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. What I love most about Black Stories, Black Truths is the fact that the stories are from us and they cover topics we want to hear. I recently listened to an episode called Tracy Ellis Ross is an Icon and Our Favorite Rich Auntie. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to hear her perspective on her new projects, what she loves most about podcasts, and how she feels about being called the Rich Black Auntie. It was good. Now, you know, Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be told about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. I was just having flashbacks to like folks that I know and like relate past relationships that I've had, and I'm like, Whoa. Okay. Yep. Wow. So I know we're going to talk a little bit more about like the traits within the narcissists, right? And or like some of the tactics that they use. But in that example that you just gave of how that person is like pulling you in, how do you recognize it within yourself that maybe you might be more susceptible to being pulled in by a narcissist? Like, are there traits that we may have 
that make us more susceptible to a narcissist? I think there are definitely people who are more susceptible. But the one thing I'm never going to want to do is drop a dime on someone and say they're responsible for this. You know, I don't think people are responsible for their own manipulation. This is being done to you. I do think that there are experiences or things that have happened in our lives that can make us more vulnerable. One is lack of knowledge. You don't know what this is, then you don't get it. And unfortunately, the media portrays all of these love stories and playing hard to get and all the game playing and this rom-com nonsense that actually kind of cultivates this culture of these big love bomby kinds of sorts of relationships. That's number one. So you got to understand it. Number two, if you came from a family, if you have a legacy issues, we call them legacy issues, like family of origin issues, where you might've had a narcissistic parent or an early family characterized by neglect, by inconsistency, by chaos, by a setting where you always felt like you had to prove yourself, that you had to win over your difficult parent, where you had to, you know, you always felt like you had to prove yourself. That kind of hoop jumping, you bring that mentality into your adult relationships. And so then when somebody's asking you to hoop jump in an adult relationship, there's something almost reflexive about it. Narcissistic people also capitalize on people who are very, very empathic. There are people out there who will say, I want to see the good in everyone. Everyone's got good pieces in them. Everyone's got light in them. You just got to help them get it out. It's not, it's not true. And so the fact of the matter is, is that some people actually don't have other people's best interests at heart. I'm not going to say that they're necessarily evil. I think that's a very strong word, but they're not kind. And so I think that narcissistic people will often take advantage of hyper empathic people that are always giving second chances and the benefit of the doubt and forgiving people all the time. Another group of people who are very vulnerable, people who are rescuers, like, no, 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 they just need me to get, introduce them to some people and help them get some connections. And if I give them a few bucks to help them get going on their new rent and maybe loan them my car, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. So they start enabling them from the very beginning of the relationship. Narcissistic people also capitalize on people who are going through transitions, maybe someone coming out of a long-term relationship, out of a divorce, somebody who's moved to a new city between jobs or somehow in a transitional phase, or maybe coming out of something. Maybe they had a, a death of someone significant in their life or they're recovered from an illness or something. So people who are kind of coming into a new place are more vulnerable. They're sort of trying to find their footing again. And a narcissistic person can often come in, sweep in, because I'll tell you this right now, when a person is very, very, very careful and kind of sees a narcissist coming, a narcissist will actually sometimes lose interest in that person because it's almost like they know they've been found out. So they're like, this one isn't even worth it. But when they find the person that gives them the benefit of the doubt and the second chances and plays into their game, then those are the ones they're going to, they're, they're going to continue to pursue. So I do think there's an interaction between the narcissistic personality style and certain qualities and people who are more vulnerable to this. But I'm a big believer that for a lot of people out there, not all, but a lot, if you give them the knowledge, they might say, oh, is that what this is? But sadly, in my experience, what I've seen is that a lot of people almost need to go through one of these relationships and really get a number done on them once before they believe it. Because when their friends or family try to warn them, they're like, no, 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 no. I got this figured out. No, 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 that's not true. No, 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 I can do this. And then it ends up becoming a big mess. What a beautiful way to describe it where it's not necessarily, I like that you emphasize that it's not necessarily the person's fault, mm -hmm. but the lack of knowledge because you right. don't even know what hit you right. when this love bomb is there. And mm -hmm. I mean, we all want to be loved and seen and heard and valued. Mm -hmm. So 
when this person displays that, you may not even know. So I will say that the way that you're painting these pictures, Dr. Romney, you are all up in someone's relationship right now. You are all up in our past. I'm like having flashbacks of instances where, you know, some of these things have happened. So this is just so helpful. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask if you could sort of talk about the narcissist's tactics. And we have a few that we took from some of your work and we'd love to like paint the picture of what does this look like in action? Because we think that when we give those examples, it really helps Mm -hmm. folks to realize, oh, this is what this is. So when we think about manipulation, we hear manipulation a lot. What does it look like in action for someone to use manipulation in your intimate relationship? So manipulation is often done where narcissistic relationships are about power and control right? They're about the narcissistic partner having more power than the uh, their partner in the relationship. And so because of that, what you'll see is that somebody's narcissistic will often want to keep their partner off balance. So they might do sort of passive aggressive or sort of pseudo compliments like, wow, I didn't think you were going to be able to handle that. That's amazing that that worked out for you. You're like, is that a compliment? Is that not a like? You didn't think I could do it, but you're saying, wow, I did it. And most people, especially if they're into this person or they love this person, they want to believe the compliment. So it's things like where a compliment is alongside sort of a little bit of an insult. It's also things where they, where you're led to doubt your reality. Things like it could be, you know, absolutely in your face, like that never happened or I never said that. But it can also be things like, you know, you must be losing your mind. You keep forgetting things. So what's happening there when they say that, or like, boy, your anxiety is really, really making it hard to cope with you in this relationship. You worry about everything. Your paranoia is getting in the way. You're always trying to look at my phone. So by labeling the person who is having warranted concerns about something or is asking for something very basic and labeling them with terms like you're very anxious or you're very paranoid, once again, it's a power grab because they're trying to basically push down that other person saying, there's something wrong with you. And for enough people, there's enough self-doubt in there where they're like, you know, maybe there is something wrong with me. And they play upon that doubt. So all of these things are always almost like leaving a person that trips up their reality. It leaves them confused, leaves them full of self-doubt. Another common narcissistic tactic is a triangulation tactic where you, where they compare the person to someone else. Like, you know, my ex-girlfriend never did this to me or my father never did this to my mother. Like it's always in terms of, you know, it's a comparison. Someone didn't do this to me or I'm actually looking for a partner who will do this. So now what they're doing is they're laying down this groundwork of, I want a partner who does this, this, and this, and then you can stay in the relationship. And because so many people for a whole history, whole reasons of history and other stuff, they don't want to lose a relationship. That when somebody says, well, I'm really looking for a partner who dot, 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 whatever, then you start trying to be that person. So they're basically giving you a script for what they want you to be. Those are all the kinds of manipulations you might see in a narcissistic relationship. Wow. Okay. So when I hear that, I wonder about what's the distinction between manipulation and breadcrumbing? Manipulation is like a big term and there's lots of things in that's like a big barrel and so lots of things in the barrel. So breadcrumbing is when you give a person just enough to keep them on the hook. So there's, and this is what really confuses people about narcissistic relationships. There are good days. There are even good weeks. There are great nights out. 
There are fun vacations. There's great sex. There's days when this person really appreciates you and you're like, this is, this is my dream. And then it goes really cold. And in those cold moments, people try to rationalize the cold moments. It's a phenomenon called cognitive dissonance. You've met this person, you're attracted to them, they seem cool, they have everything you want on paper, you're having good times, and then boom, they manipulate you. Or boom, they betray your trust. Or boom, they just go cold on you. Well, that doesn't fit, right? This is a, these are two puzzle pieces that are no longer fitting. Cognitive dissonance is this idea that a, a human being doesn't like things to be inconsistent in their mind. So what do they do? They tell themselves something. They make a justification to make things consistent again. Oh, he's not going cold. He told me he's got a deadline at work. That's just, he's just stressed. And you can see after that happens once, and then it happens 10 times, and then it happens 100 times, before you know it, this relationship is built on justifications. So the, the issue with breadcrumbing is that it's just enough to keep you in. There's just enough that's going well. You could start comparing yourself to other relationships like, well, they argue sometimes and they have that and they have this and no relationship is perfect, which is one of the ultimate rationalizations that people use in narcissistic relationships. No relationship is perfect. Those breadcrumbs keep you in, but you're slowly but surely starving to death. That's so deep. It's so powerful. And we hear, it makes me think about, you know, gaslighting. We hear about this all the time, right? It's like a buzzword nowadays, but can we dive into what it looks like to gaslight someone? Like, what does that look like in action? So gaslighting is a little bit of what I've already talked about. It is, it's a very classical form of manipulation where a person's reality is slowly taken away from them. Okay. Now, the way I've often talked about gaslighting is it's not really a one-off. I call it a grooming process. Over time, many, many, many times, they're doubting your reality. They're questioning you. Oh, honey, don't, don't you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, oh, you didn't get that job interview. Don't worry about it, baby. I love you. And you know, I don't think that, I think that job was probably a little bit too advanced for you. They're comforting you, but at the same time, they're telling you, you couldn't do that job. And so you start almost getting lost in this idea of this person taking care of you. And you're like, I thought I could do that job, but they're telling me I can't do that job. And I didn't get the interview. So maybe they're right. So gaslighting also often leverages something that's already happening. They'll do something like move the car keys. They'll move them off the the front, from the front door to the kitchen and say, Hey, where are the keys? They're like, we're right where you put them. Like, no, they're not. Did you move them to the kitchen? I didn't move the keys. They did move the keys. Like, wait a minute. He's like, you've been having a lot of trouble with your memory. So over time, through little environmental manipulations, denial of reality, you might have a strong response to something. They'll tell you something. You'll say, that's wrong. Like you should be da, 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 da. And then the narcissistic person will say, well, you're being too sensitive. So they're judging, Who's, who are you to tell me I'm being too sensitive? Or they're saying, you have no right to feel that way. Who gets to tell someone what they have the right to feel? But those statements are so baked into our language. You have no right to feel that way. You're being too sensitive that what's happening is now this person is thinking and says, maybe I'm too sensitive or maybe I shouldn't be angry. What's happening? Now you no longer trust your emotions. Before you know it, you're no longer yourself anymore. And that happens over time. By the time it's done, the gaslighted partner, the, the sort of victim, if you will, almost just goes along with everything the narcissist says because they no longer trust themselves. That is so heartbreaking. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. So I have another example, and I'm wondering if this 
is gaslighting, projection, or insecurity, or a combination of all of it, right? Mm-hmm. So what about that partner who constantly accuses you of flirting with other people when you know that you haven't been? So when we say a very, very common gambit by a narcissistic partner, what you're talking about is actually a form of gaslighting. They're accusing you of something you're not doing. So that's a doubting of your reality. But there's also likely a second step process happening to this, which is called projection. Projection is when we project sort of unacceptable parts of ourselves onto another person. So the narcissist likes to walk around feeling really self-righteous, like I'm above it all. I'm such a great catch. Well, great catches don't flirt with other people, right? The narcissist is. The narcissist is being shady. Now they're accusing you of being shady and you're like, I know I'm not being shady. Like I know I'm literally talking to these people. This is a man and his wife and I'm talking to them like, and I'm being accused of flirting. Odds are, I can't say this is with certainty it's happening every time, but odds are it's because that narcissist is doing something inappropriate in their relationships. So the only one who can sniff out a thief better than anyone is another thief, right? So they're able to tell, they're able to smell out the player, if you will. And they think they can, because they really, what they're doing is they're projecting it onto someone else. You're doing this, you're doing that. They're basically accusing you of what you're doing. That's projection. At the same time, it's gaslighting because what you're doing with these these people is not flirting. There's nothing inappropriate about it. But what it achieves in doing is you now find yourself defending yourself. I wasn't flirting. I was just talking to them. And now there's like, well, and then your the narcissistic partner will say, well, then why are you reacting so strongly if you weren't cheating? And it's because you're so you're thinking like this is such a crazy accusation that now your volume is going up and your arms are waving around because it's silly. And they're calm as can be because you're waving your arms around and saying, they'll be saying, well, you certainly are getting a little bit worked up for somebody who's not doing anything wrong. And now it's as though you feel, you start doubting yourself. Like maybe, was I being inappropriate with that guy or that gal? Like what was there something, what was I doing? And now you start wondering about yourself. Many people in narcissistic relationships where they're repeatedly accused of cheating or flirting or other inappropriate conduct, A, almost every single time it was the narcissist engaged in the inappropriate conduct, but B, they start narrowing their worlds. They become even more and more and more careful, like, I better be careful. I better not go talk to that person because I'll be accused of cheating. And they actually may even narrow opportunities in their lives, like job networking opportunities and things like that, because they're so afraid of being called out. Oh my goodness. Now, Dr. Romani, one of the other traits that you've mentioned, I thought it was hovering, but it's actually, I believe, mm-hmm. hoovering. Can we talk about what hoovering means as well? So the, the narcissistic relationship cycle typically follows a path of the love bombing, all that idealization I talked about. Then about anywhere from two to 12 weeks later, we go into a phase called devaluing. Now the narcissist is getting bored with you. You're no longer interesting because there's no more hunt. There's no more chase. You're sitting on the sofa watching movies together. It's no longer that interesting. Your supply, your narcissistic supply and validation might even start be starting to get a little bit stale. There's a little bit of contempt for you. And it's, it's kind of a nuanced process, but now they devalue you. 
you're trying to go back to love bomb. You're like, where's that person who was so connected to me? And you're doing, and now the person in the narcissistic relationship is like, well, maybe I'm not taking good care of myself. I got to stop with the sweatpants. Maybe I've gained weight. Maybe I need to look better. Now the person in the relationship is blaming themselves for the narcissist having lost interest. Then you go to the discard phase. Now the discard doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship ends. It could, and it could mean that the narcissist leaves. It could mean that you leave because you've had it or the non-narcissistic person, I guess. And it can also be that the narcissistic person is fully checked out. They may have, they may have, this might be a phase of infidelity or they may have become so disconnected that it's as though you're not even in a relationship, even though on paper you are. At some point, especially when the not narcissistic person starts to pull out of the relationship saying, this is ridiculous, this person's cheated, or this person just doesn't pay attention to me, and you pull away, or even if they end it with you, more often than not, the narcissist tries to pull the person back into the relationship. That phase of pulling someone back in is called hoovering. Most people out there who have been in relationships with narcissists will say at least one time after I thought we were done, this person starts texting me in the middle of the night when they're drunk, hitting me up on social media, but they start reaching out and trying to pull the Hoover. A Hoover is a word for a vacuum cleaner, right? Trying to vacuum you back in. And once you get start the hoovering cycle, many people fall for it because it's the fantasy, right? I want to go back to the love bombing stage and the same promises and the same kinds of intimacies and even maybe the gifts or the interest or baby, I was wrong. I can't believe I didn't take you. I, you were the best thing that ever happened to me. I, sh- I can't believe I didn't take you seriously. Those are the fantasy words that the person who was treated so badly wanted to hear. So they give it a second chance and the whole cycle starts again. And sometimes that hoovering, love bombing cycle, all of it can go, go play out three, four, five, ten 10 times. And, um, and many people don't get it. They're like, no, no, no. They said they change. I don't want to be the cold hearted person who doesn't believe people change, don't change. And they didn't. Wow. Okay. So let's say that the person has recognized that this is what's happening, that this hoovering keeps happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And they get to a point where they're like, I'm all right, I'm done. I recognize mm-hmm. it. I see it for what it is. I'm ready to completely end this relationship with this narcissist. All right, lady, it's about that time. Dom and I want to share a few sponsors with you that we believe you'd enjoy. So stay tuned to get those promo codes and we'll hop right back into this informative conversation. Lady, as you know, this month is Women's History Month, and it's a great opportunity to highlight the stories of Black women specifically. Black representation holds significant importance in conveying possibilities to everyone, not just those of us in the Black community. I can recall growing up watching Oprah Winfrey and the Black newscasters in my hometown of New Orleans, and it showed me the importance of sharing my own stories and using my own voice. Well, the next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's latest collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, You'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, 
told from a unique Black perspective. From Tracy Ellis Ross to Beyonce's Renaissance, Michelle Obama to the women behind the Montgomery bus boycott, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. What I love most about Black stories, Black truths is the fact that the stories are from us and they cover topics we want to hear. I recently listened to an episode called Tracy Ellis Ross is an Icon and Our Favorite Rich Auntie. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to hear her perspective on her new projects, what she loves most about podcasts, and how she feels about being called the rich black auntie. It was good. Now, you know, black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be told about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What are some of the strategies out there to keep them from getting hoovered back in? Part of it is the, the absolute truth of this is not going to change, okay? So there's a common pattern in narcissistic relationships called future faking. Future faking is when they make those promises like, we're going to live here one day, and we're going to move in, and we're going to have a wedding, and we're going to get married when I finish this, and I'm going to go to therapy, and I'm going to change, and I'm going to stop using, and I'm going to stop smoking weed, and I'm going to stop talking to my ex-girlfriend, promise, promise, and they're always future, they're always faking the future. That future never shows up. And people are like, okay, if, you know, he said in two years, or she said in two years, or they said in two years, when this is over, then, and the two years pass, now you've just wasted two years of your life, and then they move the goalposts again, right? And to tell people we're being hoovered, radical acceptance is everything. These patterns are not going to change. Narcissistic patterns are ridiculously resistant to change. They're very rigid, they're very concrete, and they don't tend to change. And so as a result of that, they, the cycle just keeps repeating over and over again. So I say to people, do you like what just happened? And they'll say, well, no, I didn't. I said, well, it's going to happen again. No, 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 I don't believe you. I'm like, okay. And it happens exactly the same way. So if somebody said, I promise you, this is going to go down the same way, giving you 99% odds, that that's almost how you have to think. Like It's going to go exactly the same way. I also tell people, you need to write down every awful thing this person did to you all the times they canceled at the last minute, all the times you caught them on shady messages with other people, all the times they insulted your interests, all the times they were looking at their cell phone when you were trying to talk to them about something, so write it all down. Because when this person hoovers you back, I want you to look at that list because you're going back. That is super helpful, Dr. Romani. I do want to know if there are support groups because I know Many of us have been in those situations where we keep getting pulled back in and finally, you know, you take that step. But before we get into the support groups, I have to ask you, you said in another interview that I think you said like you can't think of a situation where 
a narcissist has actually changed and became an empathetic person. And there's part of me that's just the part that's like, wait, there's good in everyone. You know, it's possible. How do you feel about that? Is it possible for someone to actually change? So here, here's how I want to put it, because I think that the capacity for change is limited. All right. So let's say you find that person who is narcissistic and they're like, I have burned every bridge. I have hurt people that the narcissistic person's like, I actually did care about that person. And, and things are crashing and burning for them, right? Their business, is, their business is failing or they're losing their job. They're alone. And they start going to therapy. And they might even really, really have that moment where they're saying like, okay, like I did wrong by these people. Here's the challenge. Okay. And here's the challenge. They might do the deep dive. They might, but boy, did I treat that person badly. The hard pieces to break out of the narcissist is the victimization. They always feel like victims. So when a narcissist is down and out, which is that's what it's going to take for them to be in therapy. They're not going to go to therapy when everything in their life's working out. They're only going to go when everything's crashed and burned. Their primary narrative is nothing ever works out for me. Everyone's out to get me. Why is life so unfair to me? It's that on and on and on and on. So even though you try to explain, yeah, life isn't fair. It's terrible. And you really give them as a therapist, you give them empathy and say, I hear you. Like a lot of bad things happen to you. However, however, we all have our burdens that we bear and that we can walk, th- we can walk through the world with those burdens and still show up for people in the right way. That's hard for them. And here's where most people get disappointed. I have worked with narcissistic individuals in therapy and I have seen the needle move a little bit. But I'll tell you that needle went right back to the, the very, very beginning whenever they're frustrated, disappointed, or stressed out. So if they're living a life where everything's just going their way, they're making the money they want, they have the job they want, they're living in the place they want, they're driving the car they want, everything's lined up. They may actually be able to show up and say, I'm ready. I've got it. I hurt you. I'm sorry. I should have been better. I went to therapy. Somebody might take them back. And things in the narcissistic person's life is going fine now that they've even got their partner back. And then something goes wrong. New boss. New boss is locking horns with them. Or pandemic. And they, they lose a lot of money. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to go right back to how it always has been. That's where the narcissistic personality always, always goes back is when things start going south, when things start going wrong. And that's the piece. People say, no, 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 no. Like we got back together. They went to therapy. They're doing well. And I don't want to be the person's always like, and give it a minute. But inevitably it's, and give it a minute. Because I don't know many people who live stress-free lives. And so that's what I meant by that is that this pattern, empathy means that even when you're having your worst day, even if you slip and say, leave me alone, I'm having a bad day, you catch yourself and say, I had no reason to get, I, I, I had no right to speak to you that way. You're not too responsible. You're not responsible for my bad day. I am so sorry. And, and, and that, most of us could live with that, right? We cut people slack in that way. The narcissistic person is not going to collect, they're not going to collect themselves that quickly. It's going to take them a while. And that's what I say. How, how much of a stomach do you have for this revolving door? This is such an important conversation, Dr. Rahman, and I really appreciate you not giving people false hope because mm-hmm. I think we do live in a world where there's a, you know, this fairy tale. There's an idea of, oh, if I just do this, it'll all be better. But lady, as you listen to this episode, like you, if you're in a situation where you're with a narcissistic partner, you're probably going to continue to go through the same cycle. We have an expert here who is, 
you know, worked with these, you know, with people that demonstrate these traits. And I think that is just so important. I really appreciate your honesty because it's what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. I think that we live in a world where there's a lot of this sort of positive psychology talk, manifestation talk, all of that. And I understand why that feels reassuring to people. I say, listen, if you're going to engage in that kind of talk about positivity and everything, make it about yourself. Don't invest that in another person. You cannot control the behaviors and thoughts of another person. All you can do is keep your side of the street clean. Focus it on yourself. Yes, exactly. A- exactly. That is spot on. I think that, you know, one of the things I often say is focus. Identify what it is that you can control. And the thing that we can control is self. So I do have one question, though. In terms of statistics around identifying like narcissistic people, is there like a difference in gender? Like, do we see more narcissistic people in one gender versus another? Here's what the hypothesis is right now, but we don't have good statistics on this. In general, we see more men with this pattern than women. However, even as I say that, I don't want anyone to think, oh, does that mean, oh, no, no, there's no female narcissist. There's tons of women and, you know, female identified people who are narcissists. Plenty of people out there have narcissistic mothers. Well, those are women. So, you know, obviously this is not a pattern that, that, that is, you know, that, that's not, it does not present in both genders. Some of the qualities that we overvalue in men, not being vulnerable, not sharing emotion, empathy being viewed as weak, compassion being viewed as weak. The cultivation of those qualities in men make it more likely that if they already have narcissistic tendencies, that those will flourish because having those qualities is not pathologized in men, right? They're considered tough guys. And and that tough guy mentality can sort of enable narcissism in men more than in women. But I have to say that we do see it more commonly in men. A lot of it has to do with how people are socialized. A lot of it has to do with sort of how emotion might even be processed. But at the end of the day, it's very, very dangerous to say this cannot be appear in women. It can, it does. I've worked with plenty of clients who are, who are men or identify as male who say, I have been, you know, I've been devastated by a, a person who's a narcissistic woman. I work with plenty of clients who have narcissistic mothers. So it's, it, it can present in anybody, but in, as a, at a population level, these traits are more common in men than women. Okay. So for some, Dr. Romani, this was a necessary but heavy episode, but it was so helpful. And before we shift up, you know, and we talk about how people can stay in touch with you, we want to, we want to change up the energy mm-hmm. of our interview and transition into a new segment. So Dr. Romani, before we dive in, I don't know if we did this segment last time with you, but just get ready, Dr. Romani, because I'm it's, ready. About to, it's about to change up. All right, there we go. So because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and Dr. Romney, we believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet. You can still be elegant and dance to strip club music. We want to invite you to the OU Clatchet segment. So Dr. Romney, do you take on the challenge? I take on the challenge, I think. Yay! Yes, <laughs> yes. This is exciting. So, Dr. Romney, I'll start off with the first question. I'm going to leave Dom the ratchet question. (laughs) So my question is, what's one question or topic that you wish people asked you about more often? I wish that more people would ask me about 
how, you know, we focus so much on why does the narcissist do what they do? Tell me about the narcissist. I wish people would ask me more about life after the narcissist. Well, since we're here, <laughs> Dr. Romney, can you tell us what is life like for someone after they have officially left the narcissist? So no more hoovering. So it's complicated. I'll tell you what does happen. If a person doesn't get hoovered anymore, for a little while, there's a period of disappointment. They feel as though, was I not even good enough to be hoovered? And not realizing that they, they just dodged a really big bullet. But instead, there's that sense of like, why didn't they come back after me again? People almost get addicted to that cycle, right? Then there's a period of grief because these relationships do a real number on people. They're confused. They've been removed from their own reality for a very long time. They're filled with self-doubt and there's a lot of anger. And it's not even like the normal anger of grief. Like when somebody dies, our anger is usually, why did they go so young? I'm so mad at myself that I didn't make time for them one last time. The anger of, of when you lose a narcissistic relationship is, why did I stay so long? And people get really angry at themselves. There's a lot of shame. And so the cycle of grief feels very different. And then a lot of people don't even support people in that cycle of grief. They'll say to them, oh, come on now, that's not grief. Nobody's dead. Or, you know what? Everybody has tough relationships. This is a whole different experience. And a lot of people don't get it and say, you're making a bit, what are you talking? You, you have no right to call them narcissistic. You're not a, you're not a shrink. And so people get a lot of pushback. So the grief experience is a very lonely one. However, people are willing to recognize that that first bit of time is characterized by rumination and anger and some ongoing confusion, euphoric recall, you go back, you remember the good stuff. Then you come out and there's a day you realize like, oh my gosh, I can watch what I want. I can text my friends at night when I want. I can spend special days with my family without my family being criticized when I want. I can go back to school and not be called foolish because I can. And people start realizing that this new freedom has been given to them and they find their voice again. Sometimes they find it for the first time. And that's the point at which I always tell people, especially when it's an intimate relationship, if you're breaking up with a narcissist, you've got to do a 12-month relationship detox. It takes 12 months to get that poison out of you. 12 months, 12 months of birthdays and anniversary dates and holidays that you don't do it and you don't substitute someone else because in that year you get to know yourself again you learn your rhythms you learn what you like to eat again and what position you like to sleep in again and what your interests are minimum of 12 months people are like oh my goodness i'm going to lose so much time lose so much time for what there's nothing more important than getting acquainted with yourself because what happens is when you're in a narcissistic relationship you get so pulled away from who you are you don't really, really get to learn, what are your preferences? You want thin crust or thick crust? You, you're so used to ordering what the narcissist wants and eating what the narcissist wants and having sex the way the narcissist wants and watching the movies the narcissist wants. You forget that you actually like foreign films, that you actually prefer thin crust pizza, that you actually like hiking and you don't necessarily want to go to the gym. And you then plant your flag and you get to know your preferences. So the next person who meets you, you're like, yeah, that'll be thin crust. And this weekend I'm taking a hike. You want to join me? Instead of doing something on someone else's terms. So beautiful. That just, I feel like I'm going to cry, Dr. Romney. That just sounds so amazing to be on the other side of that freedom. And thank you for sharing that question with us because I think that was just so 
filled with gems in and of itself. I thought Dom was going to get the ratchet question, but I guess I will be asking you, Dr. Romney. So <laughs> get ready. The question is, are you going to twerk or two-step? Oh, two-step. <laughs> Honey, if I twerked, I'm so old, I'd probably put a hip out. <laughs> There is no judgment there, Dr. Romney. There's the two step is cute too. You can do the cute two step. <laughs> no, no, no. Women my age, if I'm going to be two stepping, I'm going to need Medicare because no. <laughs> I love it. Knowing oneself and one's true capabilities. I love it. I love it. Okay, so the next question is. How do you want to be remembered? How do I want to be remembered? You know, I would love to be remembered as somebody who was authentic, empathic, and brave. Somebody who went out on a limb and said the uncomfortable truths that nobody else wanted to say and gave people back their voice. That's how I'd love to be remembered. Well, who knows? We'll see what happens. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I love that. But I'm just hoping they remember. Maybe all I do, uh, my real hope is that just that somebody does remember. And maybe that's more than enough. We love it. We love it. And Dr. Romney, the last question for you here in this segment is, which song gets you on the dance floor at the club or party? Oh, my goodness. Pre-COVID, of course. <laughs> oh, goodness. You know what? I was in the car the other day and Earth, Wind & Fire came up on my shuffle and it was Let's Groove. And you know what? And I was just sort of working the front seat and I thought, you know, oldie book, it's kind of thinking someone played a wedding and that would actually get me off the dance floor. So there you go. Yes. And yes. there's nothing like the front seat dancing. I think that's sometimes some of the best dancing right there. Thank you so much for having yes. fun with us, Dr. Romani. Dr. Romani, we, we want to take a moment to just thank you and honor you. We really appreciate the work that you do. Dom, as a psych fellow you know, psychologist, was mm -hmm. stating how there's not a lot of research on this topic, but you have definitely freed so many people with the work that you do and providing your expertise and insight. I mean, this is just, I cannot wait to listen to this episode just like last time. So thank you so much. And we'd love to let folks know where they can find you, what products mm -hmm. and services you're, you know, you're promoting and Yes. How can they keep in touch? So you can go to my website, which is drromany.com. And you can go to my YouTube channel, which is also Dr. Romany. There you'll find a, you know, ridiculously long library of videos on all things related to narcissism and how it impacts relationships and mental health and what survivors go through. And most importantly, how also are some things you can focus on to help yourself cope with all of this too. So, and then, and then if you go to my website, you'll see that there's always additional sorts of more robust seminars and programs that help people understand these relationships. Last month we did a healing seminar. So we really do have a, you know, have a mix of programs for people, no matter where they're at, whether they're trying to learn about it and they've never experienced it and they want to try to avoid it, whether in it and they don't know if they want to get out of it or they, they're going to stay in it or they're going to leave it. And then for people who are coming out of it and how to heal. So we try to help people at all phases of this. I understand that some people can't get out of these relationships and I never judge that. I think there's a real tendency of people to say, well, you stay in this, you're a fool. We don't know people's stories. There's issues around culture and religion, children, money, you know, and it is, and I think that then it really becomes important to give people the tools and make sure that they have the support so that they don't blame themselves for the ongoing toxic stuff that's happening in this relationship. Amazing. Wow. Thank you so much, Dr. Ramani. Thank you for having me. It's always so lovely to see both of you. Thank you. Hey, lady. It's Terry here from Cultivating Her Space. 
Are you tired of working hard for your money? Do you want your business to run smoothly when you're out of office? If you want to learn how to automate your business cash flow and increase your impact and influence, join me for my free workshop at brandwithterry.com. Again, that's brandwithterry.com. My name is spelled T-E-R-R-I. Hope to see you there, lady. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website, cultivatingherspace.com, and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I am doing the best I can with the understanding, knowledge, and awareness I have at this moment. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.